And you're listening to Black Chat here on Koori Radio. And uh, that was a great song by Marcus Corwin. He also did that Hey Doco on, uh, was it uh, was it ABC or NITV in regards to smoking and his family. His grandfather was a smoker and passed away with uh, lung cancer. So he's one of those people. And the same as uh, Fred Leon. He's out there. Well, they're calling him Ted on the uh, promotion about giving up smoking. So, yeah, it's, uh, he's got two, two names now. Ted for the mainstream because people see him doing the promotion for giving up smoking. And then Fred Leon who does impossible possible odds the um the group up there in queensland in studio now we've got to ali downing and uh, she's here to let us know a little bit more about the uh big um science uh what is it the, the indigenous science um symposium that's coming up in uh in august well it's coming up in two weeks time and uh hey um but I'm going to catch my voice here. Ali, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, no, it's great. So you're from the Australian Museum? Yes. Yes, and how long have you been there? Um, I actually started as an intern back in 2013. Yeah. So I've been yeah. there for just on three years now. Yeah, and uh, do you have an interest in, you know, what was your interest to get a job in the museum? It was... I'm actually a museologist, so I study You're a mu- what? museologist. A museologist. Yeah, so I study museums and community education. Oh, muse- is that such a word? Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was like, say, music, but it's a muse... Museologist. Um, and what does that mean? So uh, it's multifaceted. So museums are inherent... They're really big places and there's lots of study that goes on. So at the Australian Museum, we're natural science and his- culture. So there's lots of studies that go on into animals, into artefacts, into communities. But what I'm interested in is community education. So the schooling system, not everybody fits very well in that. Um, and some people come out of it and think that they're stupid when they're not. Yeah. It's just that in that system they don't work very well so what we do is we look at alternative ways to show people that you are smart and you can do something and just because you didn't do very well in one system of education doesn't mean that you can't achieve incredible things yeah some of the most successful people in the world were terrible at school yeah well when you hear stories about you know and i'm just like no i dropped out (laughs) yeah and i went what but now you're this you know you've got your own corporation or you've got your own you know whatever out there and it's it's quite incredible and I think sometimes yeah the education needs to change. Yeah and it's so much about confidence as well so it's not only uh, learning knowledge and learning how to apply knowledge but it's identity formation and teaching people to be confident in themselves and to go out and ask scary questions and you know teach them that failure is actually a really great thing because that's how you learn new things <laughs> and that's how you find out about yourself. What you go mum I failed. <laughs> and they should applaud. <laughs> no, it's but- a great Thing. No, it, it it is because if you don't fail early, you won't be able to deal with it as you get older. That's how I always found. Yeah, and it it's it's sort of once you accept that failing at something or finding doing something that you're not comfortable with, that's how you actually start conversations. That's how you learn new skills, and that's how you change your way of thinking. So rather than just doing something the same way because that's always been done, if you fail at it and you're like, what's a better way to do this? This is how innovation yeah. happens. This is how you get better practice. This is how things change for the better. And you don't just have one voice. You have a lot of different voices contributing to something. Okay, then um, education's been around and they use a system that's like over 100 or so years old. I oh, even see. older. <laughs> yeah, like way back. It probably, yeah, it probably goes back to England. Yeah, um, Industrial average, Revolution. Yeah, it goes back to that way. But I look at you, you're only a young person. <laughs> <laughs> so are things changing there? Because, you know, now we've got this new world and people are talking about, um, you know, coding, um, math, science. There's a really big push on the moment for math and science. And we 
people are not realising that there are a lot of smart kids out there that are really loving maths and science if it is taught in a way that they understand. Yeah, I think there's a huge shift that's happening at the moment. So um, I think I was on the tail end when the science was getting taught and science is, you know, white coats in a yeah. laboratory working at really high level science, which does happen. So at the museum, we do have those guys and they're incredible. So they do projects like mapping the koala genome, which is essentially working out what makes a koala a koala, like that really, oh, really? really micro level. But <laughs> <laughs> and also, yeah, everyone says koala bear. A koala is not a bear. A koala is not a bear. Yeah. Sometimes if you're talking to people from overseas, it might be a drop bear, yeah. but it's not a bear. <laughs> yeah. Um, but surrounding that is an entire community. So I think that's something that doesn't always get taught is that science isn't just one person it's one person in a community so you'll hear people talk about peer-reviewed articles and what that is is people putting their research out there and then asking for feedback and it's everybody looking at things it's sharing and it's people coming from different disciplines and letting their knowledge support everything that's going on so in education it's come through that you know science you do have the four traditional of um, biology physics chemistry and uh, what's the other one? I always forget. So, Engineering. So what did you what did you do? Uh, I <laughs> I only did physics in high school, but I'm really? actually is that all? Why yeah. physics? Uh, I mostly astrophysics, but I also I was doing a lot of English and art. Where do you come from? <laughs> <laughs> Brisbane. Oh, you come from Brisbane too? <laughs> oh, really? Whereabouts in Brisbane? I, I grew up in Balimba, that then moved across the river to Indrapilly. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Girl yeah. from Brizzy, eh? Oh, uh, can't take the swamp out of me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, us Queenslanders are pretty good people. I think we're okay. <laughs> yeah. But physics. Now, this is really great. Is there anybody else in your family that's like that? That's um, we're all a little bit, I think, nobody works specifically in the same field as me, but we all have the same mindset that everything's connected. Good. So science doesn't sit by itself. Science no. can, is everything. So when you go outside and you notice that the wattle is blooming and, you know, you, you traditionally think of the four English seasons, which is spring, winter, summer and autumn. But in Australia, there's different seasons. And depending on where you are, there's could be six, there could be eight and there's different indicators. And so the fact that you get wattle blooming right now, which is my favourite thing, tells you a lot about the climate. And then from that, you can sort of look at, so you move from the aesthetic joy yeah. of looking at a really pretty wattle tree to appreciating this really unique environment, the biodiversity, how that fits with what's going on, all the natural cycles of life, and just look at things in a really broad scope yeah. rather than just focusing on one thing. No, that's true because if the wattle's out now, that means we do have climate change. Yeah. So it, it's really interesting because that's one thing. So climate change research, a lot of that can be proven through observation, so that's another thing. So mm. citizen science, which is another thing the museum does, is everyday people contributing, volunteering their time and helping create really big data sets, and that helps a lot. So with uh, climate change, what you can do is just by observation, so if you logged all the birds that you see in your backyard and send that through to a researcher who's looking at bird populations and where they are, they might notice that you've got some birds in your backyard that aren't usually there. And if you send that in over 10 years, they might notice that there's an increase of birds in that area, and that might show a shift in bird migration patterns. It might show that birds are slowly starting to come back to urban environments, and so the species is evolving to adapt. It might show a lot of really different things, and it's really cool because all you're doing is taking a cup of tea out the back, looking at birds, writing them down and emailing them off, but you're making a huge contribution and you're practicing science you're practicing observational science and data 
uh, logging. And yeah, which is helping great. rather than just having the scientists who we're hearing over time, you know, whether there's some politicians who say, you know, there's no such thing as climate change as others are, they're not believing scientists, but here we are, you've got everyday people yeah. that are um, sending infant data into you and them working out, yeah, should those birds be there or, or mate, you, you know, you've got two more months to go before you're here, but because of the climate change, yeah. It can often get too political. So I think when it gets talked about at a high level, it is a lot about words and it's a lot about specific terminology yeah. and what's going on. But if you come back down to programs like the Australian Museum Science Festival or Citizen Science, what we're doing is we're not interested in that. We just want to get you talking about science. We just want you to get involved because the more people that are involved, the m- bigger the momentum yeah. gets. And so it doesn't matter what you call it. If a lot of people are seeing the same type of thing, you can't deny that no matter what it's called, no matter what terminology you put on it. Mm. It's an acknowledged experience. Now, this is great. So you've got a symposium happening, the Indigenous Science, August the 13th and 14th. And this is, uh, this is not it? No, what we have on That's August... another one, sorry. <laughs> another one. Yeah. No, it's a big month. There's a lot yeah. of incredible things. So what is the museum? That's another thing here. <laughs> What's the museum doing? Um, so what we're doing is from August 13th to 26th, yeah. we run the Australian Museum Science Festival. So on the 13th is our Super Science Saturday, and that sort of kicks everything off for us. So that's a huge day where we take over every square inch of the museum, as well as Sydney Grammar Next Door, as well as oh, really? outside. Sydney we, Grammar Next Door. Yeah, we take over everything. Um, and we run a whole bunch of programs. So um, we showcase some of the museum science. Yep. So uh, some of our scientists come out from the labs and they talk about all the really cool stuff they're doing. So I know that we've got um, Siobhan Dennison who works on the Koala Genomics yep. Project and she works in our genetics lab. Uh, we'll have some other people talking about so at the museum we have both natural sciences and cultures, so we have uh, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander collections as well as Pacific collections, and we have our experts coming out and talking about that and sort of showcasing a lot of the knowledge and reframing it to uh, make it accessible to a Western audience, so it's sort of validating right. this knowledge and making it accessible to even more people to show that what's been practised for a really long time Westerners are just starting to put labels to and, you know, have that conversation that science and culture and are intrinsically linked. They, they go together. You yeah. can't separate the two and they're not pitted against each other. And at least I'm having an understanding that uh, First Nations people do have science. Yeah, there's incredible well. knowledge. There's, there's incredible knowledge out there, but it's not been taken seriously until, I suppose, until now. Now we're going to have, we're going to have munchies. We're going to have insect munchies. Yeah, yes, I remember at last lunch. year. <laughs> I remember last year I had uh, crunchy crickets. Oh yeah, they were pretty good. Yeah. I. What did you have? I missed out on it. So when the launch happens, I'm out on the um, street welcoming all the schools. So we run a huge school event. So yeah. this year we've got just under 6,000 students booked in. Is that so all? Well, yeah, you know, cash. 6,000 <laughs> students, yeah. So while you're inside enjoying crickets that I wish I could eat, I'm out the front uh, checking media permission <laughs> slips, pushing students in, telling everyone to get in line. So what time does that kick off on the on? Um, the 13th. So 13th is from 9.30 till 4pm. 9.30 to 4. Oh, yep. good. And then our school events, our primary school is the 16th to 19th. School. And our high school is the 23rd to 26th. 23rd to 26th for secondary. Yep. Oh, nice. Big month, August. And Big month of yeah. science for the museum. So if you've got those students there, how's, how do the public fit in there? So we have the Saturday, but we also run some evening events. So on the 16th, we're working with the Office of Environment and Heritage to show Attenborough's Ark, which is a documentary about um, 
it put the question to David Attenborough, if you had to put species on an arc, 10 animals, what would they be and why? So it's sort of him fanning over his favourite animals and him just gushing about them. Oh, really? So this um, is happening on the 16th? Yeah. What um, time is that kick-off? That's at 6pm. That one's free, although I think we're nearly sold out, so you have to get on quickly to the Australian Museum website and get your free tickets before they go. Yep. Um, and then on the 18th, we have two, uh, three events actually. So we've got our special lunch in the morning, which you yeah. were, came to last year. And then in the afternoon, we have our teach meet. So what that is, is that's when we invite educators. So not just school teachers, but, um, museum educators, or if you are just yeah. interested in education, community education, come to the museum. And what we're doing is we're talking about science. So, uh, when you, Science and the fear of teaching science is it's not just students. Sometimes people are scared to talk about it because they think that they might look stupid or they don't know, but we're trying to show them that it's not scary and you can talk about it. No, well, I think, too, people don't have an understanding of what science really is. Yeah, so... It's, to most people, it's men and, or women in white coats and, you know, bottles and doing all these things in a laboratory, but it's... And I think that's been the past. Yeah, well... It's this thing of it's so much bigger now. So you yeah. were mentioning before about coding. Yeah. And it's incredible what kids can do nowadays. So everyone knows the saying that kids can are really good at picking up uh, foreign languages when they're kids. And, you know, that's the prime time. Yeah. Essentially the same with coding. So if you teach kids at a really young age how to do coding, so that's HTML or it's building your own apps, it stays with them. And like you can just... Look at Pokemon Go. <laughs> that's crazy. It's isn't exploded, it? but that is actually really valid. Um, that's based on data which was looking at cultural hotspots across yeah. the area. So it was based on a game called Ingress, yeah. and what that was doing was asking people to go out to artworks or community spaces and log it. And then what they were doing was tracking how often people were coming back there and looking at the way that people interact with that space. And so that's been then turned into a game. But what it's also done is create a map of all these cultural places for a mm. community as dictated by the community. And so you suddenly learn all this stuff about your community as you're playing Pokemon Go. So I didn't know that there was a writer's walk throughout all of Sydney until I was out trying to oh, really? <laughs> catch the Pokemon. Yeah. And so you can do incredible things. And, you know, science isn't... You can do research science and contribute a lot to that field, but you can use science to do other great things. Yeah. You can foster a sense of community. You can help education. You can bring people together, and it doesn't need to be alienating or scary. It can yeah. just be really nice. No, I think it's going to. I think it's really changing now because of the, the way the world is turning. Yeah, you know, it is um, compared to what it was before. Because most kids do, if you know, they're pushing on iPads when they're babies, or their mum's got them on the iPhone and they're doing stuff. Mm. I've seen incredible things by two and three-year-olds and it's like, my goodness, how did they do that? But it's, yeah, empty brain and it's just filling up, filling up, filling up. Yeah, so, but, what, so what we're in the stage now is how do you transform that into something that rather than just getting stuck in you using your technology, how do you go the one step further and make that a really valid contribution to your community? So how do you transform that interaction that's naturally happening that people really enjoy yeah. and make it worthwhile, which is where we're at now and it's where everything's going to go and that's what's really really exciting yeah. and also we've got to get that balance then of um um i suppose communication yeah because what people are doing now they're isolating themselves they're not communicating personally so hopefully um those skills are being taught too don't get lost up on the technology i, I hate to bring it back to pokemon go again but i'm just so excited by it you but you play it i do um, but that's one one of the really smart things about it is that the developers behind it, so all of the engineers and the technicians, 
they were conscious of that. So yeah. they've created and they've programmed the game so that you have to, number one, go out and be out in the world. You can't sit on your couch. And number two, you are a better player if you interact with people. So there's a whole suite of games coming out where you're, it's no good if you're playing by yourself. You can yeah. train and spend as much time at your computer if you want. You will not be as good as somebody who is working with somebody else and fostering positive relationship. Um, so there's lots of games that look at the statistics of the player. They look at what happens across the game and they also look at the chat logs. Yep. So what people are saying to each other. And they have data that shows that if you're positive, if you are really nice to people and you support them, you're going to have a better game. So it's not just hearsay, there's solid evidence, and this yeah. is where science, again, can get applied to create a better community. They can back it up, they can prove that, that you know... What's happening. Yeah. No, I think that's good. I was always thinking they should have a system, a device, if you play for too long, it just cuts off, <laughs> and then you have to wait 24 hours or... It's called battery life. Yeah. <laughs> no, but even just the game, it's, you know, because how some kids just sit on a computer and sit on it, and they, they'll go for days and days, and I just thought, I wish they'd have a cut-off point that if one solo person got on here, they could only do so many hours, and then it would either go off for a couple of hours, and if you continued doing it, it would drop you out for 48 hours or something like that. But Mandatory uh, internet cut. Yeah, yeah, mandatory. <laughs> no, it's true. Oh, that's good to know about Pokemon, that yeah, they're actually doing that. They're smarter, so maybe they must be younger people. I think it is. So another really great thing is I was talking before about um, mapping. Yep. So what it's done is it's using those cultural maps, but it's also using uh, meteorological data. So it taps into all the weather that's happening at the moment, and it will change the Pokemon that's out at the time. So it's they're, what they're, <laughs> they're used to... F- fake classification system. So they've looked at all of the natural data of how animals interact, yeah. how scientists classify animals, and all of the associated information with them. And what they've done is mimic that for this false world of Pokemon. And then, But they've made it interact in the same way. So this entire universe is based in real knowledge. It's based on the work of scientists, and it's based on the way that we understand animals. And so they've just kind of take, picked that what up. What about humans? Uh, humans, they're still working humans. on We're very yeah. complex. We're very <laughs> so difficult. We're talking about animals, and we're losing a lot of animals on the on the planet. We so are. it's like how we this interaction in in this world with um other people with other people you know with other people interaction. That's where the loss is, I think, and especially with little kids from an early age. I mean, generations before it was put your kid in front of a TV. Now it's giving them an iPad or the mobile phone. Mm. As small children, you know, you see them in, in strollers and they're doing it. I think that that's where events like the Australian Museum Science Festival can get on board. So what we oft, always, always have live animals there and it's the type of thing, one of my favourite things is to walk around with a snake on me. Yes. I love snakes and it's really fun because during the high school week you get a lot of really tough boys coming up and they're like, oh, you miss, you got a snake on you. And I'm like, yeah, do you want to touch it? And they're like, oh, no. And they, you sort of go towards them with a snake and, you know, it's a huge python that's curled yeah. around me three times and they jump about 10 metres away from me. Isn't it funny that, eh? Really funny. And it's not until I go up to them and I'm like, I've got, I've got her head here, I'm going to hold it across here and I've got her tail in my other hand and, you know, I span the head and tail two metres apart and they come up with one pinky finger and they touch the tail of the snake and they're like, I did it, I touched the snake. Um, but then they start talking to you and you can start talking about the fact that, you know, some species of snakes are naturally aggressive, but on the most part they're not. Yeah. Um, and they only get aggressive if you are invading their environment. Yeah, yeah. And so you can talk about a lot of um, interactions between humans and animals. You can talk about behaviours. You can even talk about things like um, 
the illegal pet trade with snakes. So the fact mm. that you can test a snake and you can tell if it's been bred or if it's a wild snake that's been captured. And that means that you can stop people from going out and catching snakes in their natural environment and trying to sell them, which means wow. that you can stop the um, loss of species. Yeah, no, it is, because that's what the old trouser snake, that's what you, they used to smuggle them yeah. in their trousers or wrap yeah. it around their waist or wrap it around We'd their waist. would have been legs. cold. <laughs> no, but I don't mind. I always say to people, pythons, are, they're really good for massaging. They're you so notice good. that when you put it it's, on your as neck? As you can feel them contract. Yes, and it's just, when I first, uh, yeah, had a python on my neck, and it was like, wow. And we were trying to get the guys to touch the python because they're not, you know, they're not going to hurt you. No. Like tiger snakes and tarapans and all that. No, no, these are like the pussycats of snakes. Yeah, with the python. And I was just like, no, man, they're the best thing for massaging because the way they contract and you just put it around your neck, you know, and you're holding it, it's just, it's the best massage you can get. I find it really comforting as well because, like, they go over your shoulders and rather than just a coat, it's something that's alive and it's just kind of hugging you and it's it's the weight of it. It's really comforting for me. It's a pacifier. I really think it's it's really good for you, but it's because people grown up with, you know, so-called wild animals and Mm. they feel uncomfortable once they touch them and get that... and they go, oh, you know, it's like when I took my grandson to Taronga Zoo and we went to the snake and I said, here, look, Grandma, I'll touch it. <laughs> here, there you are, take it. And he did because he saw me take it. Yeah. It was more the kookaburra that took his hot dog out, <laughs> out of his roll when he was trying to eat lunch. That's you know? quite traumatic. And that, was, that was worse than, you know, people would say the snake. And I said, no, he was wanting to go into his hot dog and this kookaburra came straight down and ripped the sausage out of the Cheeky. roll and he just went... And it was like, see, so, you know, different different species. But this is going to be great on um, the 13th to the uh, 20th, so the 13th to the 26th. Yep. It's going to be happening at the Australian Museum. Drop in there because they've always got some incredible things happening there. And um, this is really good to have this, all the schools coming in, the different talks you're going to have. But for these um, events... The, what was these, the two events that you're having? When did I write that down? The 16th to 19th, the primary school yeah, week. That's right, yeah. And that's the it. 23rd to 26th, high school week. Yeah, no, which would be good. Yeah. Look, uh, Ali, thanks very much for coming in. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is interesting. I'm, hopefully I'll get, be able to get down there. Oh, we'd well. love to see yeah. you. Okay, we'll then. invite you to eat some crickets with us on the 18th. Oh, be nice. <laughs> Other insects as well. Oh, we love it. it. be good. Okay, then take care. You too. And we'll be listening to, um, well, we're listening to, we've been talking to uh, Ali Downing. She's the advisor for science and engagement and events at the museum. And she's a, what did you call it, a museum? Museologist. That's the first time I've ever heard of that. A (laughs) a museologist here. And you're listening to Black Chat. So don't go away. Thank you very much, darling. That was wonderful. You know what you're doing about that. You love your work. And you're a Brisbane girl. I am. They always say we're a bit backward, but you notice people on TV, other people on TV are all Queenslanders. And you can tell by the way they talk. There's certain words that they say, which is really quite... I see, I grew up in Hamburg. Yeah, 